Hi, this is Liza Casabona, Managing Editor of Retail Dive. What you read on our site is only part of the story. Our reporters and editors are constantly researching, reading, and talking about the retail industry. And we, like most of you, are currently consumed by the seismic changes retailers face. We are also, like many of you, working through disruptions to our usual way of doing business. The Retail Dive team is working from home in multiple states to bring you our analysis of the forces reshaping retail. Here's what we can't stop discussing and debating. Here's where we talk about the news outside of our reporting. Welcome to the back room. Hey everyone, welcome back and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Back Room. I'm Ben Unglesby, reporter with Retail Dive. And I'm Daphne Howland, reporter with Retail Dive. And today we are talking about retail sales numbers. Daphne, you've been the main person, I think, on the team for a while to report on these numbers. Every month? Have you done it every month for a while? Almost. I mean, you did it a couple times, I think, for whatever reason I couldn't do it. But yeah, it's been a few years now. And the past couple of months of the government's report have been pretty intense. But before we get into that, I think it's worth explaining that after these several years of reporting the government numbers, which come out roughly mid-month from the U.S. Department of Commerce, we thought there's just a better way to present these numbers to our Retail Dive audience. A lot of times when you see the headlines from the monthly report, it's really focused on the month-to-month number rather than the year-over-year number, when it's the year-over-year number that really tells the story. And the other thing is a lot of these numbers include things like auto sales, which are, you know, bring massive amounts of money and sort of distort the meaning of the numbers for our audience. Even food and restaurants, there's certainly a lot of the things that affect restaurants, especially those in malls and stuff, are similar to those in retail, but that's not what we look at. So we took a step back and figured out what is the best way to do these monthly reports and just kind of locked in certain key segments, the total sales, non-store sales, which is what the Commerce Department calls mostly, though not all, e-commerce, sporting goods, general merchandise, furniture and home, electronics, and then apparel. And just to let those more meaningless for our purposes, numbers just sort of fall away. Put that into chart form. But then if you ever see one of these government reports, they're loaded with different columns. Not only do they compare month to month and year to year, they also used adjusted versions of the numbers and unadjusted versions of the numbers. They're a nightmare. They're a nightmare. (laughs) It's a nightmare. And after talking with a few very helpful analysts that we trust, we realized that because the government adjusts for seasonal variation and holiday trading day differences, things like that, we really want the raw unadjusted numbers. So suddenly when you are limiting yourself to those retail categories that we always report on, that unadjusted number column, and really focus on year over year, it now brings that monthly report into much sharper, more meaningful focus. I think this was our third month treating it this way, and we still might tweak it here and there, but I think it's become a much more meaningful story from that monthly report. Daphne, from the conversations you had with analysts, did you get a sense of what 
what exactly goes into the government's adjustments for those adjusted figures? Yeah, so they say they adjust for seasonal variation and holiday and trading day differences, but not price changes. They probably take into account things like Easter that can distort things oh, since, since it, it moves, moves around. around exactly. Rather than take those adjusted numbers, we thought we'll just take the raw numbers and we could deal with mentioning what fell where when, because we still do write a story based on the monthly report. And just to reiterate how important it is to pull out certain segments, because I mean, to me, it's interesting that restaurants and retail get lumped together. And from the government's perspective, from a broad like macroeconomic perspective, it makes sense. But yeah, for, for our readers, you know, they're in a completely different business from restaurant owners or even to a large degree, grocers, even though, you know, they occupy some of the same real estate, it has some similarities. And, and I get into this conversation with people a lot, you know, someone says there's too much attention paid to, you know, distress and bankrupt retailers and stuff like that. And they'll point to good trends in retail overall. But you start looking at the numbers and you pull out restaurants, you pull out convenience stores, you pull out auto retail and, and some of these, you know, when we write for our audience, the retail that matters to them, a lot of it is discretionary. A lot of it is apparel. A lot of it is specialty. And in those segments, they're facing a completely different market than other kinds of retail. For those markets, they are in a downturn. But but really, just the broader point is, you know, they move and they don't necessarily move in the direction of the rest of retail. So you pull those out and it can be a completely different story than, than retail overall, that, that final aggregate number. Exactly. So you get some clues if you're seeing consistent year-over-year declines in a category like apparel. That's a clue maybe if you're a mass merchant or a department store that maybe there needs to be some diversification of your merchandise because there are a whole lot of apparel retailers out there these days and department stores have become de facto apparel retailers too. So I think our approach will evolve a little bit, but I think we're onto something here. It feels like a, a useful tool. It, it really kind of makes that government report come alive for a change, <laughs> bring some color out of that grid of numbers. Yeah, which, yeah, the, the, the couple of times I've had to, to write about it and, and really kind of cold without having, um, you know, made a study of them before. It, it is, it, it, there was, a, I'll just say there was a lot of cursing yeah. Yeah. in the newsroom that yeah. day. <laughs> whenever, whenever I've had to write about the numbers, there's, there's been a lot of cursing. In the and I think a lot of that comes from which, which one of these columns is the one that, to focus on. Now, we came down pretty solidly on the fact that year-over-year -year numbers are the ones that are meaningful. There's always a headline in January about how retail sales fell X percent or whatever, but actually they always do in January because retailers are doing a lot of their selling at the holidays. The one thing about that is that right now in this pandemic era when we had pretty much all non-essential stores closed for the month of April, the month-to-month -month number actually did tell its own story. It wasn't a particularly unexpected story, but certainly you had a big plummet from February to March 
half of the month in March, stores were closed. Pretty much all of April, most stores were closed. They opened back up in May. You saw some wild month-to-month swings that you don't usually see. So uh, it was worth discussing that a little bit. But even then, the year-over-year numbers were were compelling. And it seems, I, you wrote about them, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, it seems like with this month's two, we have a similar story that we see in retail overall where, you know, the total numbers told a positive story, surprised people by, by how good they were, but especially clothing retail was still hurting when everyone else, not everyone else, but when a lot of other sectors were seeing positive sales. So the story is, yeah, May wasn't quite as bad as people feared. E-commerce grew, not surprising since people aren't able to go into stores. But yeah, apparel and accessory sales fell 64% from May 2019. And I think there are a lot of analysts who see not just the pandemic's effect on demand for clothing, but maybe the acceleration of something that was happening anyway, which is kind of the story here for a lot of retail. A lot of the things that were going to happen in five years are maybe going to happen now in one or two, something like that. And I think apparel, the the decline of the growth in apparel is definitely one of those. It, it's so hard to, I mean, I think everyone's kind of trying to read the tea leaves and get a sense of what the, what the, the rebound is going to look like and how long it's going to take. But even with good early numbers, it seems extremely difficult to predict because you don't know necessarily if that's going to stick. You know, maybe people, maybe people were tired of, I mean, I've heard this from in conversations with analysts and consultants, you know, there's a possibility that people kind of were tired of being cooped up inside or, and they had spending that they put off. So stores start to open up. You see a lot of that pent up spending come out but you don't know if it's going to stick you don't know if it's going to last well you heard a lot of that from retailers as they they had earnings reports where they had the chance to talk about the current quarter when stores were starting to reopen places like macy's there are a couple of different things going on too there's possibly pent-up demand but there's also you know the government sent people chunks of change for people living paycheck to paycheck. They had to use that to just keep life going at the same boil that they had before. For some people, that meant a little bit more discretionary money, so maybe they spent it. But if there's not another infusion of government stimulus like that, and as the economy looks like it's going to falter, I mean, some economists think we're already in a recession, pent-up demand will only go so far if people don't have money to spend. Yeah, and I mean, we saw that in a lot of retailers' conference calls and first quarter filings. They attributed some spending to the stimulus. A lot of first quarter filings are starting to come in, and I mean, one of the main themes is uncertainty. Every retailer across the board is putting in, you know, boilerplate language into their risk disclosures that they, they can't predict what the rest of this year is going to look like, what, you know, how the pandemic is going to play out, how it's going to affect sales, how the economy is going to play out. If anyone were to, you know, show me their model of how they can predict, you know, they can spit out a number for, for what retail sales are going to do over the next year, I, I wouldn't take that person seriously. 
or not that seriously. Well, and I feel like there's also, I don't know if it's like a dog chasing its tail or a chicken and egg problem, and this falls into your beat. It seems like retailers have had to go to their banks to keep themselves afloat, but that means if they weren't distressed before, maybe they're just distressed now. If they were distressed before, they've dug themselves a deeper hole. So what does it look like from your perspective as all these bonds and extra debt keeps flowing? Yeah, what? I've been reporting on this over the last few weeks. Uh, I mean, pretty much every retailer and their mother drew off their revolver. Healthy, distressed, everybody that had availability under their loan facility or their credit line did a draw. And I mean, we're talking tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars per retailer and many billions of dollars across the industry. And then we also had a lot of big companies, the ones that could, you know, issue new bonds, Macy's, uh, Nordstrom, L Brands, they all did new notes offerings to raise more cash. Because that's, I mean, that's the most important thing right now is generating cash if you're not having cash come into the business. I mean, how all that plays out depends partly on retail sales. I mean, a lot, a lot of retailers will have no trouble. Most retailers probably will have no trouble paying it back. Some retailers that did draws are already disclosing that they may have to file for bankruptcy or they've issued going concern warnings, which I think a lot of it is a determination by an independent auditor. But basically, you have to issue a warning that you may not survive as an operating company over the next 12 months. So retailers that have made draws off their credit lines have issued those warnings. So they may, they may not be able to pay it back. But yet, and then beyond just the debt, they deferred rent, they've put off paying their vendors. So they basically got through the pandemic on borrowed money and they have to pay it all back. And you don't know what sales are going to look like. So you don't know if you're going to keep burning cash in August. Maybe things start to rebound in August, or maybe we have another wave in August or October or, I mean, people said we could have a really bad winter in terms of COVID-19. And if that's keeping people home, you know, it very well might. I mean, it could be really bad because you're already trying to pay off. You're already trying to pay off the debt you took on. You're still burning cash. And you probably, if you have to close your stores again, or if there's just not enough enough sales to support the cost of operating stores, you're going to need more liquidity. You're going to need more money. And if you've already tapped your revolver for everything that's there, where is it going to come from? You know, the complexities of this moment, they're just so varied because there's the financial uncertainty caused by the pandemic, but the pandemic itself is rife with uncertainty. As you said, they have taken all these sort of extraordinary measures to get themselves through the pandemic, but they're not really through the pandemic yet, even though some stores are open. I did talk to a pandemic expert who painted a picture, and this is a story I haven't written yet, so people will have to look for it coming up, but she did paint a picture of a situation where retailers really can run stores safely, even as a a risk of contagion continues. But the thing is, it really depends a lot on what she called physical distancing, what people usually call social distancing, and wearing masks. And both of those things 
seem to be sort of uh, emerging as somewhat oddly controversial in the United States. So some of the pandemic pressures or complications for retailers might be coming from their own customers or some of their own customers. And the other difficult thing, not to weigh in on what's become sort of a political issue, but, you know, masks seem like a fairly simple thing. And to a retailer, it's, you know, revenue neutral. Social distancing, I mean, a lot of a lot of the new precautions that retailers are taking to make their stores safe and to comply with, you know, phase two mandates from, from regional governments involves like traffic limits to your stores. So having people queue up. Now, I'll wait in line for a grocery store, no problem, because I absolutely have to have food. But would I wait in line for a Macy's? Would I wait in line for, uh, you know, for another kind of apparel retailer? Would I wait in line for, you know, even a Best Buy or, you know, versus buying something online? And will you wait in line in December? Depending on where you're in, in the country, you know, Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, isn't always beautiful weather. So if we're still living with these kinds of restrictions and most of the people, I don't know about you, Ben, but most of the people I talk to seem to think, yeah, we're going to need this really until there's a, a vaccine or some really concrete evidence of, you know, a level of what they call herd immunity that kind of cuts this pandemic off until we have that. And that's looking like maybe a year. I don't know what you're hearing. I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist. But my sense is that that a year is even sort of the hopeful figure, because even to get a vaccine, which I think more and more is sort of how we get back, you know, our best chance for getting back to normal, you know, within five years. I mean, vaccines are not brought to market that quickly. Like for that to happen, it would be unprecedented. And there's, I mean, like a lot of things would have to go right. And it's possible because the whole world is working on it but it's not guaranteed by any stretch. A lot of it is is chance. And we can't necessarily get a vaccine within a year just because we want to. So that means that this temporary period for retail, and well, for everybody, but for how to conduct retail business, it's temporary, but it's pretty long lasting. What I'm wondering is, I get the sense that when we come out of this, the retail business is going to be forever changed. So really there is no going back to the old normal is going to probably be altered forever because of the pandemic. Yeah. You know, habits kind of become sticky. It takes a long time to train a customer and it's difficult to train them again. But I, again, I think a lot of it has to be sort of accelerating trends that were already in motion, you know, online shopping, buy online, pick up in store. There's a lot of lot of talk about curbside. But I don't know what share, you know, when you look at discretionary retail in particular, what share of that is sort of recreational. People who are shopping because they just want to have fun. You know, it's what they want to do with it with an afternoon. And the, and the question I have is like, how big of an impact is that going to have on the numbers? Because how fun can shopping be if you're queuing up if you're wearing masks, if you're social distancing, you know, if there's all these protocols in the store to sort of remind you that, oh yeah, there is a pandemic out there. 
and and every person you see is a potential carrier like how fun is shopping going to be and is some of that you know i would imagine some of that fun shopping spending that shows up in sales numbers is just going to go to other kinds of fun first of all going to the mall is going to be much less likely I think downtown sort of shopping district shopping might be better off in this new world. But it's a little strange because at least now you still have to be social distanced from your friends. So that idea of a Saturday shopping trip with a friend, even just the, the friend part is more difficult. But I think the more discretionary shopping shifts online, the less people will end up buying and the more retailers will spend on making that sale. You know, I, I have talked to some people who also point out people working from home could have, you know, multiple impacts. And it affects apparel, obviously, if people aren't buying as much workwear. I called I call it formal wear in a story and then they called me out. <laughs> it reminded me that formal wear is... <laughs> Like tuxedos yeah, and prom. gowns. <laughs> it's what you wore to your wedding, Ben. Yeah. But like <laughs> office clothes, if people aren't going into offices much. And, and then also retail that is based around offices. If office corridors and office districts, you know, there's a lot of retail centered around those areas. I mean, for me, like I, you know, I would go shopping near our office because it, sometimes it was more convenient for me to pick something up while I, on, on a lunch break at work than go out afterward. So I would occasionally run out to a CVS or uh, even you know Marshalls by our industry dive office. <laughs> I'd buy a pair of pants to, on a lunch break from time to time or something, uh, gift. Um, but I'm not going to be making those trips. Because I'm not going to be in the office for a while, and and I imagine I'm not I'm not alone there. Well, that kind of reminds me of as I'm working on some back to school research because that's coming up, and that's another one with pandemic related uncertainty. Nobody knows in some areas whether kids are even going to go back to a physical school. With more kids spending more time with virtual learning, there could be a bump in. Um, creating spaces for them at home, kind of like people have done for themselves as they were forced to work from home, setting up some nicer office situations. Wayfair's been doing pretty well, for example, online furniture, at least their sales. I don't think they cracked the profit nut yet. And I, I'm a mi microcosm of that because I've spent a couple hundred dollars at Wayfair in the past couple months. First time I've ever, and my wife has, but the first time I've ever shopped on Wayfair has been in the last few months as I've been settling into <laughs> to my home office here. Yeah, so those are bumps. Once you've set up your office, that's kind of a one-time thing. I would also just make the point, we're thinking about all the different ways that predicting demand and predicting predicting sales is difficult and full of uncertainty. And you know, I'd also just make the point that that wreaks havoc on a retailer's entire business talking about uh, finance for one and having enough liquidity and you know how, how do you plan your cash flow for the year when you don't know what sales are going to be but you also have to make buying decisions and I mean that's incredibly uncertain too supply chains are already been under stress because of the virus because there's been you know factories around the world that have shut down where concerns at warehouses and then also you know suppliers have been through some of the same issues that 
or all of, most of the same issues that that retailers have. They lost the cash coming in the door for for a couple of months um, as retail shut down and canceled all their orders and weren't doing any buying. So they had to furlough their staff and lay off their staff and basically go dark, just like the retailers did. So they're having to restart up. The ripples are going to be felt for a long time, and and, and it makes planning across the business just so incredibly difficult and full of risk. If you're too optimistic, you know, you get stuck with a whole bunch of inventory that you have to mark down, and that has just been death for, for a lot of retailers, even before the pandemic. It's so true. I think one of the things that the pandemic taught everybody, probably retailers, and even Amazon, by the way, to some extent, but customers too, is e-commerce isn't magic, internet-based, ether-based system. It involves human beings and buildings just like store-based retail does. And there were a lot of delays and disruptions and costs, extra costs. As e-commerce keeps growing, things like returns are going to be more of a headache. Wow, this is just, it's just such an unsettled time. And at the same time, everyone's sort of worried about health and safety, which isn't, you know, all that conducive to going shopping for fun. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening. And be sure to rate, subscribe, and like our show wherever you get your podcasts.